it does mean that you don't have to try and it, you're not a failure if you're not an expert at everything. If you can't, don't have answers for every single problem that is brought to you, right. and people have these enormous expectations, but mm-hmm. in your community are people who have those gifts, those backgrounds that you mm-hmm. can call forth, that you can help them, you know, and you can really start collaborating uh, and seeing, you know, God pouring out into your parish and through your parish into the neighborhood around and the world around in all these extraordinary ways. And that is, if that is pastoring. Welcome to the Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst in the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Hello and welcome back. My name is Ron Huntley. Welcome to the Leadership Podcast, where we seek to dive into issues that matter, that help you lead not only your life, but influence others in a way that make people great. Our guest today is no stranger to the podcast. Sherry Waddell was on the episode the other day. We had a wonderful conversation about the whole called and gifted book, but also all the work that went in before that. But there was some unfinished business. I'm so glad to have her back today so we can dive into the whole idea of charisms through the Mm -hmm. called and gifted workshop. So Sherry, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back, Ron. Thank you very much. You are welcome. One of the things you talked about, you kind of just touched on it and we kept going and I wanted to get back to it, but I thought I'd save it for this podcast. You mentioned at one point you converted to Catholicism. And I wonder if you could just give us some insight into what that journey was like and what brought it about. The very, the short form, okay, is basically <laughs> I grew up as a true fighting fundamentalist in Southern Mississippi. So the real ones, not those Northern ones, this is the real thing. <laughs> Um, and, uh, on the, and we, my family, it's a long story, but my family, because my father who came from a nothing background had a conversion shortly, um, basically after I was baptized as a child, a massive one, but he ended up on the far, 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 far right-hand edge of the fundamentalist world for which there is no, well, there are some Catholic equivalents, but we won't go there. Okay. It's so far out there. It was way outside the norm. Okay. And yeah. uh, so I grew up not only fundamentalist, but actively anti-Catholic. So I lived two doors yes. in St. Church, as which I regarded as the anteroom of hell, clearly, um, because as a eight-year-old running by barefoot one summer morning, I stuck my head in the door because I thought, what's inside there? And it was dark. And there were candles burning, which clearly was demonic as far as, you know, from my perspective. <laughs> and I said, it's all true, you know, ran past <laughs> You know, so those sorts of things. So I grew up uh, with this very, very, yes, negative association. Um, So my turning point was as an undergrad, I, at the University of Washington in Seattle, I had went through my adult conversion and I felt very old, very sophisticated, you understand. Yeah, very uh, old in university. Very old and very sophisticated. And, uh, but, you know, time as an adult to deal with these things. And, um, but what happened shortly after my conversion, I was looking on camp near something near campus that I could go to pray during the day and Protestant churches were closed, but there was this big Gothic Catholic thing a few blocks away that was open during the day for reasons that 
I had no idea, but I, I, so kind of, I don't know why I felt the courage, but I opened the door, walked in and felt a presence of God that I had not experienced elsewhere. I, and of course I had no language. Now the church was named blessed sacrament. Did I have any clue what that was? Of course not. So far out of my horizon, I had no categories at all for anything like it, but I knew there was a presence of God there that I hadn't encountered in Protestant churches. Um, and so I started praying there, I started going there as my prayer place because it was open during the day. And my right. friends would say, if you don't stop doing that, you know, you're going to become Catholic. And I thought, oh, pfft, dumbest thing anybody's ever said. I mean, come on. Because um, all I still had all that anti-Catholic stuff in my head. Um, right. And then there was really, uh, in terms of the thresholds that we talked about last time, uh, yeah. and I knew nothing about them, of course, at that point, but um, right. there was a turning point. Uh, I remember I saw, they had, it was a Dominican parish and they had a statue of mm -hmm. this young woman. And there was a sign that said Catherine of Siena, though I knew who, didn't know any idea who she was. Oh. But I knew I had picked up by reading things as I was during my prayer times that they had like in the bulletins and the vestibules yeah. and stuff that Catholics, these were saints. They represented saints and saints could pray for you. Now these, I didn't know what a saint meant, but it was obviously an outstanding Christian of some kind. Sure. And, uh, and so on a completely on the spur of the moment, I turned and I said, Hey, Kate, you're a young woman. You get it. I said, I desperately want to know what God wants me to do. And so if it's okay, and then I said, and Lord, if it's, if there's anything wrong with this, if like, it's not okay that I ask her to pray right. for me, I'm really sorry. I don't want to, you know, diminish your glory in any way. I don't want to, you know, but if it's okay, Kate, could you pray for me that I could figure out what God wants me to do? And then the very next moment, I literally, I don't even know why spontaneously, I turned my head to the ceiling, like God was up there yeah. and said, uh, you know, Lord, if there's anything to this Catholic thing, I'm open. And oh, yes, man. I had crossed into openness without a clue in the world. I had, I had declared myself open. <laughs> and when I came across the thresholds years later, I, I thought, oh, I can't believe that's what happened. It, <laughs> that was the journey. The stuff I wrote about is actually point. true. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my gosh. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, that was, that was a big turning point for wow. me. Um, so it's, it wasn't like, you know, there are a lot of people who read their way into the church. I had lots of friends who did that and they were sure. had very different questions. I had an, in, I had a mystical experience and that was my turning point. Huh. But because my primary way of prayer was practicing the presence of God, I was acutely aware of the presence of God. So when I encountered something new that I knew was God, then I thought, okay, I, you know, this is not to be dismissed. So that's my turning wow. point. That's. Yeah. So it's oh, really, so um, different than most, most people from my background, you know, are reading Newman and all this stuff. Well, I got around to that eventually, <laughs> but that wasn't the real reason. So, um, yeah. I'm so, so glad I asked the question. Like what a cool story. And I, even as you're saying it, I, I, I have the, the, the church in my head, I can see you as a young university student. I can see where you were sitting. I can see the statue. I can, I'm just painting the picture in my mind as you're describing it. And it's just so amazing. You know, Scott, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Scott Hahn in terms of the anti-Catholic piece. And then mm -hmm. this coming to this place of openness, to your point yeah. of the thresholds, and then 
God, the sovereign work of God does what only God can do. Wow. So Thank you was, for sharing that. Was, that. Yeah. So it's, uh, I entered, when people say, why did you enter? I said, I, they have lots of people, have, most people have other reasons. I say I entered to follow Jesus. I was already following Jesus, but I wanted yes. to be at the center of his church on earth and not on the periphery. Yeah. And I wanted to be where his work of redemption was at the center of worship. So beautiful. That's beautiful. It. And so all of a sudden I, you know, uh, your relationship with Kate, uh, it, it, <laughs> the whole Catherine of Siena is still like, oh my gosh, okay. Well, that was <laughs> Catherine also in the future. I, I mean, you know, uh, I didn't, we didn't actually name the Institute Catherine because of that experience. We did it because she was such a great example of a lay apostle um, because she was sure. a and not not a even a, a nun as such. She was a lay Dominican, even though she wore a habit, as was traditional in her time. Um, but sure. uh, uh, yeah, she was she was a lay missionary evangelist who had an apostle who was mm -hmm. having all this impact on the church's life. And we were and my I founded the Institute, co-founded it with my Dominican pastor, who was the pastor of Blessed Sacrament. Mm -hmm. He he came no. later. But yes, he, he ended up there and we got to work together. And so the Institute came out of our collaboration and we found a Dominican who's the perfect patron for what we were wanting to do. So there you are. Yeah. How cool is that? Beautiful story. So where did and how did the evolution of the called and gifted workshops like what? Like, tell, tell that, me that preceded story. the Institute um, because okay. uh, right after I finished school, um, the guy I was doing, I did a sort of an internship my senior year. And uh, he asked I was doing it with a, a guy who a man who was a layman who was working with the um, charismatic renewal in this, the Seattle area. And at the end, he said, well, would you like to create a way for, he says, we've got lots of people who want charisms. They're interested, but they don't know how to discern them. Would you like to create something? And I thought, you know, you're in, you're, you know, that kind of cocky place you're in when you finish school and you think like, whoa, sure, I can do anything. And so I said, well, that sounds interesting. I don't know anything, but why not? You know, so, so that I love summer, you. literally that summer, which is actually uh, 30 years ago this summer, I, as a volunteer, completely clueless. I just sat down and draft, sort of sketched out and created what is still the basic structure of the called and gifted without knowing anything really. Um, I was using lots of Protestant materials because that's all I knew um, at the sure. time. And, uh, you know, and offered it for 20 people that fall. And it was... Oh. They hired me as a result. They said, okay. <laughs> so they hired me part-time and I kept reworking and you know learning and creating more and thinking well that looked like a good idea at the time but it really sucked in practice so now i'm back to the board again <laughs> and uh you have to have a lot of tolerance for failure and um right but i listened i i just i learned a lot by listening i was just i said i had listening built in from the very beginning i sit down and one hour with every person who went through and said you know after they went through the workshop they took the inventory and then i said talk to me about your experience tell me a story and hmm. and that's how I really learned. And so hmm. and so slowly I created the training. I just I just rewrote and rewrote things. And then by the time three years later the institute was created, um, we had it. It was already I was already structured. People had heard about it. People were coming from all over the city, hmm. not just charismatics but non charismatics, and that made a really great combination anyway. Right. And uh, 
So that's what we had. And we used it um, as a, a place to also articulate the vision for the uh, apostolic call of all the baptized and their leadership in the church and mm. you know all of that. So it became, that became our structure. And so that's, and so that's why uh, since we've had what about 143,000 Catholics go through all over the world now at this point. And uh, yeah, so, and we've learned a lot more of obviously, um, but now I've, obviously, I, I have a lot of collaborators. It's such a beautiful thing that it's so uh, youth is a beautiful thing. Like, you know, Steve Jobs and, and Wozniak, you know, in the garage creating Apple. And there's just so many cool things that happen at that university age, because you're right. That is a neat time of, Hey, I, I got this. And of course I can do or, that. Or you just, you, you expect, you know, you're searching, you know, you're out there. You, your life isn't determined yeah. yet. And you're just, yeah, wondering what's next. I really did. That was very, I, since I was a teenager, I prayed intensely wanting to know what God wanted me to do. And mm. so, but I certainly didn't expect to see it inside the, find it inside the door of a Catholic church, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for our listeners that might not be as familiar with the whole idea of a charism, how would okay. you describe that for them? Um, charisms are, are gifts of grace that, it's a term that St. Paul uses in the New Testament. It just means gift of grace, but it's a very particular kind of gift. It's a gift that I am given to give away to others. It's not just for me. Mm. Now, there are other graces that are given to us that we're used to, like sanctifying grace that we talk about in the sacraments. They're for us to keep. That's for the sake of my relationship with God. But the charisms are for others. So there are ways that God's love and mercy and beauty and truth and healing and provision pass through me with my cooperation, but for the, for other people. Okay. So there, there are different understood in the church's tradition as a different kind of grace. And this goes back, this distinction has been made since the early, earliest church. We can, I could trace it through all the history and Thomas Aquinas and all that, but you don't really want to go there. Um, but all I'm saying is it wasn't made up in the 20th century. This is a, this goes back way right to the beginning. And, uh, right. the, and the early fathers wrote about it. It's in the scriptures, et cetera. Okay. In the New Testament. Um, so the whole point is, the, but these charisms were debated at the Second Vatican Council. It's the first time in the history of the church hmm. that the mission and dignity of the lady was actually debated at a conciliar level. It's the highest, the only time. And that was for the decree, the debates on the decree on the laity. And one of the things they debated were the charisms and were they really given to all the baptized? And if you imply that, then you're wow. taking away the authority of the bishops, etc. And so there was one of the great speeches of the council by Cardinal Sunans about the charisms and the universal call to be apostles for all the baptized. And it was a turning point. And of course, that was what the fathers discerned was the, you know, the voice of God and went into all the documents of the council. Um, and, and it's now it's in the catechism and it's in a number of magisterial documents since then. Yes, I've read them all, but the whole point is it's very deeply embedded in the tradition now. Um, so discernment. Now, here's what's really interesting related to what you do. Wow. Okay. Okay. There's, um, I do a lot of work with clergy. I've done a lot of work with clergy uh, since Forming Intentional Disciples mm -hmm. came out. 
And so we have to talk about what they call the three tasks or the munis of the pastoral office, which is to, to teach, right. to sanctify, and to govern, which I'm sure you're familiar with in your work. Um, but governance is very interesting because governance mm. covers evangelization, calling people mm. to that encounter with Christ that changes their lives. Um, it covers evangelization and all the spiritual forces unleashed by evangelization, which include mm. the charisms and personal vocation, which are not the same thing. They're not, the two are not the same. They're related. I can talk about that. Please. And um, and so governance uh, is is when if you look on the directory for, for bishops in the, on the Vatican website, this is where it's all laid out. But so governance is, as I said, evangelization and everything that comes out of it, including helping all the baptized discern their gifts and with their charisms and helping all the baptized discern their vocations. And this is part of the pastoral office in the church. Okay. Now in practice, of course, priests are not formed to do this ever. I know because right. I've done it with a lot of clergy. Um, sure. And understandably, uh, most of their energy goes into uh, basically, especially sanctifying, which would be the liturgy and worship and all, and then teaching, which is preaching um, in, the, in the ministry of the word. Um, but um, but this governance piece is ignored most of the time. There's no, there's very few structures for it in our, and we're not forming leaders to do it. But in fact, of course, the church also teaches that every lay person is responsible for their own discernment. And we're responsible to be helping walking with one another and helping each other discern. So it's not like it's, we're, we're just supposed to wait for pastors to do this. We have our own personal responsibility right. in this area. And if anyone who is mm -hmm. in any leadership position in the church, formal or informal, so if I am a catechist, if I'm on the RCA team, yes. if I'm on the parish council, or if I'm a staff person, a parish or diocesan level, we are participating in the pastoral office by delegation. Okay, in a different way than right. a priest. We are participating mm -hmm. in it. And uh, the truth is, we all have responsibilities in these areas. So that's the call and gifted was essentially, uh, ultimately, a way to facilitate the only structure of its kind, uh, still, actually, um, that's really rooted in the church's teaching that helps people discern, actually go through a discernment process. Um, and so there's... We there's sort of three parts that's has been since the beginning. There's a workshop that we do an intro just to kind of the basic ideas because yeah. most of this was brand new to people. People kept saying there is like one woman came up to me and she goes, "Just listen, I'm 52 years old. I've been a Catholic all my life. I went to 12 years of Catholic school and four years of Catholic college, and how come I've never heard any of this before?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> then I have to go into my spiel about the council and the debates." And I said, "I know the word's been really slow getting out, but here it is." Um, but you know, but that's, it, it was true. It just wasn't taken seriously at the local level, which is of course, and we, we right. always understood that the, for 98% of us, the parish is it. I mean, we, we don't have lay true. movements necessarily in our backyards, only if you're in urban areas and in the U S we're so big, the gigantic spaces and everything. Um, mm -hmm. we don't have much access to a lot of that unless you live in certain places, um, and so the parish for a lot of us is the only place we're going to encounter the church and be supported, um, as emerging disciples in our, and apostles in our own right through our baptismal yep. 
through our baptism. And, um, you know, so that was the vision from the beginning. Um, so the call and gifted was created to be done at the parish level, ideally, though we it nice. also get done at diocesan levels and things like local levels too. Um, sure. But what we do is is uh, give people a chance to begin exploring. We they take an inventory, not because it is determinative. It is not. It is not proof mm-hmm. that you have a charism, but it's a quick and dirty way to sort through your life experience to this point, and and identify best places to begin discernment. Because you could, go, you know, how are you going to know where to start? Right. Well, you know, we want to, you know, narrow it down, and then we. Then you come and have your one-on-one interview where we listen to your stories and we say, oh, I see I like had a high score in hospitality. What, what were you thinking when you answered those questions? Do you have a story? What can you think of an instance? Tell me the story. And then we just, we train people to listen to their stories and recognize evidence or not of a charism, help them recognize, hear what's going on. Because sometimes they themselves don't know because they've never put it into words. Nobody ever asked, mm. nobody ever listened. And so that all of a sudden they start to hear and recognize and see connections they hadn't seen before. We help them pick a charism to experiment with. That is to do, because this is, mm-hmm. this is Nike country and you just got to do it. You don't dream about <laughs> these things. Just do it. If you think you have a charisma teaching, you have to go teach something to someone and see if anybody learns, you know, it's that <laughs> right. um, or leadership or encouragement or music mm-hmm. or, healing or whatever we have a there's a wide spectrum of charisms we help people discern um that it's not exhaustive these are just some of the most common charisms and um and so we're teaching them a process and then the third part is you pick a charism and you actually experiment with it a minimum of two hours a week for at least eight to ten weeks Mm -hmm. ideally and in real life it's going to be longer but most people won't commit to more than that at the beginning. So, and the idea is you do, you experiment on your own and then you get together in small groups and you talk with other people who are also exploring and you talk through what happened. So, okay, I'm looking at this charism and this is what I did. Here's my story. I don't know what this means, you know, because this person said this and this happened and, uh, and, uh. and you know, and then you talk it over and then you go out and you experiment some more and then you come back and you talk and you experiment and you talk Two to four weeks into that process, the light starts to dawn for about 50% of people who had patterns already at work in their lives that they hadn't recognized. Mm -hmm. Or maybe if they're experimenting with something brand new, they start to see patterns emerging. We teach Mm -hmm. people to listen for the feedback you get from others because charisms are real. They are not fantasies. In other words, they really make a difference in the world around you. And so people give you feedback about what they receive from you. And you have to learn Mm. both to welcome that and to recognize it and take it seriously. And for a lot of people, I have to give them permission to do that. Because for many Mm. Catholics, that feels arrogant. It feels presumptuous. Right. Um, And I'm supposed to be humble and I'm I'm nothing and God's everything. Yeah, Yeah. I'm supposed to be humble. And I can't, especially I might say women are very prone to this. Uh, so I have to give special per- permission to women to accept because um, they're worried it's going to distru- disrupt their relationships at some level. Mm-hmm. So, but it's the same basic process for both men and women. And um, 
Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so they, so we take them through a process. Now we're just teaching them a discernment process. I can't guarantee you, you'll know all your charisms at the end, but almost everybody has clarified at least one or more and has a sense of difference between the charism and, and just skills I have natural talents, things I was forced to learn with life. You know, the person who has scores high in administration, Mm. I've had a lot of this and you you ask them to tell a story and while they're telling the story and they're like, I mean, they they look like they're, you think they're battling world war three or something. I'm like, I'm thinking that I'm thinking not, you know, because, because the classic signs of the charism are joy, energy, uh, it's compelling, right. joyful, it's energizing, it's satisfying. It's like prayer. It's like contemplation. You have a sense of the presence of mm-hmm. God when you're using it. And so if I'm hearing, then I'm thinking, mm, okay, well, that's fine. We're just going to keep asking some more questions here. I'm going um, out on a limb here. That might... <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, interesting, you know, so, um, you know, so I, I can tell you story after story, but we probably don't have time for that. But um, anyway. Uh, so well, it's Sherry, as you're sharing, like I grew up post Vatican, and and so I, you're telling me this. I'm thinking, what the church didn't like? Th- they didn't think that before the Vatican got like widely. We lost um, track. It was talked about a great deal in the early church. That's why we have Saint Paul's letters on the topic. We have a lot of the early fathers, but what happened, as far as I've been able to rec- to figure out, um, after a point when uh, about 400 years after, well, four, 350 years after Jesus, the Roman Empire adopted Christianity as its religion, right. formal religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened very quickly is that people all recognized where the new power was. And so the church grew about 500% in one century. People just poured in, not because of faith, but because that's where, that's if you wanted a good job, if you wanted connections, that's where everything was. So we were all going to go there. And so what happened, a lot of very nominal people poured in. Um, and then that triggered also the beginning of the monastic movement because a lot of the serious disciples went out into the desert and started these communities out in the desert, which is the beginning of monasticism. Um, yeah. So there's a, but what happened and when you read, I won't go into details, Amazing. but when you read no, some please. of the early documents, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there, you can tell like, okay. 350, Cyril of Jerusalem is talking about the catechetical lectures. He is lecturing. We have his lectures to people joining the church, adults joining the church. And he's talking all about the charisms and how important they are and, you know, what you're supposed to do. Okay. And then 50 years later, John Chrysostom, what, 300 miles away, is writing where are the charisms? They're supposed to be here, but they seem to be vanishing. What has happened? Ah. Okay, he knew they were a necessi- an absolutely necessary part of the tradition. He says, without them, the, the church is like a woman with a beautiful jewel box, and she opens it, and there's nothing in the box. There's no jewels. Mm. Um, you know, so they recognize. And anyway, over That's time, cool. the assumption was if it was only for the very special, only for saints. If you manifested one, it was a sign you had right. an extraordinary call. You were not supposed to be an ordinary layperson. Obviously, you were supposed to go hide thee to the convent, the monastery, you know, whatever, because you were clearly not normal. Um, but 
Mm. Ordinary Catholics, ordinary lay people didn't expect to manifest these. Um, and so that's, so anyway, it's a long saga, but what happened that's is awesome. this yeah. was revisited uh, historically in terms of the church's development um, in the 19th, late 19th century. And then into the 20th, these issues kept rising and they came to the fore in the debate on the decree on the laity. Um, wow. Yeah. Thanks be to God, eh? Yeah. That's so, so, so cool. That's a, that's an interesting perspective. I remember, you know, you talk about people's feedback. I remember it's a, it's an embarrassing story in many ways. I was not a good student in school. Uh, I found uh, sitting still difficult and uh, reading and comprehension was painful for me. So I was a really slow reader. So I found school really challenging. And so I, you know, I fumbled my way through, through academics. And I remember I had this really strict teacher. Uh, her name was Miss LaRose. Uh, God rest her soul. Apparently she's passed since. And, and, uh, Boy, she was strange. She taught biology, which you have to memorize. I couldn't memorize. I was happy that I could fill out my name every time. And, and so uh, it was the last day of school. I was scraping by in biology. Wow. I had my fair share of detentions. Uh, last day of school, she said, uh, uh, would Ro last minute of the class, could Ron Huntley and Angie Romke please stay behind? Uh -oh. I want to talk to you. I don't think it's the last day of class. I didn't do anything. And why Angie Romke? Like, she's a perfect student. She's on the student council. She's just a model mm -hmm. human being, loved her to death. Mm -hmm. I was lost and troubled. And and uh, and so everybody left and she comes towards us. And I'm so confused. And mm -hmm. she pulls out these two brochures and she said, there's a leadership camp that's taking place this summer. Both of you have incredible wow. leadership capacity. And I think you should wow. talk to your parents about sending you to this camp. And I remember thinking to myself, what are you talking about? I'm not a leader. And I walked out of the class. I threw it in the garbage. There was a garbage bin right outside the class. Just so happy I didn't have a detention. And off I went. But I never forgot that. Uh, and it was later that mm -hmm. hearing that from other people, I remember saying to God at one point, and again, it's the openness threshold mm -hmm. around that piece. Yeah. For me, it was like, God, if I'm a leader, because I heard it enough time from mm -hmm. enough people, sure. if it's true, and I'm not saying it is, but if it is true, I want to use that gift for your glory in the church. And so I'm going to stop saying no, and I'm going to start saying yes, but Lord, all for your glory. And I remember praying that prayer in my 20s, wow. um, but to your point of feedback, you know. And and to have, you know, what's so fascinating about the process on so many levels. First of all, it tends to draw people who are often on the peripheries, not the usual suspects who are involved in everything. Right. They may they may be too busy and their lives are full. They don't, they don't, but these other people sure. are sitting there going, what do I do? And uh, so yeah. we get a lot of them. Um, it's it draws them out of the out of the peripheries into the center until they're known and seen for many people. We've heard this over and over again. I have never told this story to another person. And they've had these extraordinary yeah. experiences of God that we are totally silent about in our communities, um, which would energize all of our faith if we knew, but we have no, right. so few mechanisms to hear these stories um, and to have them honored and to really have someone listen not just casually, but really trying to say, what is it God is doing in your life and how is he leading you? Um, so there's all kinds of 
incredible stuff that happens when you start discerning charisms. Um, if you, if we evangelize, the charisms are going to start popping because they, they tend to manifest in your life at a certain point. Now we all have them. We're given to them in baptism. So they're like seeds underground in winter and in Colorado seeds underground in winter in this place. And I'm a gardener and I'm 7,000 feet high in the Rockies. I'm telling you it's serious winter. So it looks dead. Your garden looks dead, but it's not. Okay. (laughs) They're all underground and they're filled with the life of God and they're just waiting for spring. So Mm. the charisms in many ways start to, when you start to evangelize, they start to manifest in people's lives with them comes uh, leadership in the area of the charism. We have to talk about that. Um, this massive creativity, uh, uh, a, with them, there are also important clues as to one's personal vocations. Um, there's all kinds of factors that come with this. Uh, and it, um, on so many levels, it is crucial. I mean, as we talked last time, helping people make the journey to where they they actually enter into a living relationship with a personal God who, th- who they think yes. might actually be kind, might actually care about them, et cetera. Um, that's a huge turning point. As they continue to move, they get more and more curious about Jesus and they begin to, to wrestle with, am I going to follow him as a disciple mm. in the midst of his church? It's about that time as people move maybe into seeking, maybe into early discipleship, the charism start to manifest. And we've heard this story many times. You know, they said, you know, I'll say, oh, about two years ago, I went through this retreat and I had this experience. And then this thing showed up in my life. And what is this thing? Um, (laughs) So it could be somebody who suddenly has a passion for working with the poor or somebody who feels uh, drawn to intercessory prayer or you name it. I mean, story after story after story, Um, but no one was around to kind of help them recognize the call that was coming with them. There's a leadership in the area of the charism that comes with you. Um, And, all sorts of things like that. So it's um, facilitating discernment. That's why the church says it really mandates that we're supposed to be helping every single baptized person. Well, first of all, we want them to enter into that relationship with God out of which these charisms manifest, but then to help them discern them and to answer the call that comes with them, which is crucial to the flourishing of the church in every generation and to the building of the kingdom of God in every generation, in every situation the church finds herself. And so that's what we're doing. And that's how it was through the called and gifted process and listening to people that we got moved into evangelization because we realized people couldn't discern because they weren't disciples yet. That's why they were struggling so much. Um, But there's the the discernment issue is really interesting because it has, it's just as true for clergy and it's for leaders and your charisms will it's how, how should i say it you will distort your job or your ministry to make room for your charisms period regardless of what your job or ministry ex- actual job description says give me an example give me an example oh, <laughs> that's a funny statement so so give oh, me an it's example so t- okay true story i'm not naming names here but let's just say i was at a parish meeting with a dominican and dominicans are you know i've worked with a lot of them okay and they're yeah, brilliant yeah. And so there we are. We're at a meeting supposedly about painting lines on the parking lots. (laughs) That's a good meeting. 
Okay, it's an exciting meeting, but he wanted to turn it into a graduate theological seminar. And he kept popping <laughs> out all the Yeah, well, he, it was actually a charism of knowledge, but he, he was popping out all these oh. massive ideas, you know, and then so frustrated that the, the people were just going, but I'm here to talk about the lines in the park. <laughs> like, and I'm like looking on and going, right. come on, come on. Um, <laughs> you know, but, it, but you just, you will do it. Uh, I mean, yeah, we've seen it over and over again. So the, the thing is, well, as I can say, yeah. do everyone around you a favor and figure out where yes. your characters are. So that you're not so you doing this people with them and giving everyone around you the fits, uh, you know, you need to know, you need to know as much as possible. You, ideally, now all of us have commitments that re and responsibilities in life that mean that we will be active and responsible in areas where we don't have charisms. That's okay. Yeah. But to the extent that it's possible, you want to, if you will, major in your majors and not your minors. So you want to shape your work, your your community involvements, your service at the parish, whatever, around your charisms. You will be most fruitful, most effective, have the biggest impact, and you will be energized, joyful. It is healing. It is nourishing indirectly for us. Now that we can't do it to get there, just to get to the good feels, because they're gifts for right. others. That is what it's about. But as you as you obey that call what indirectly comes back to you is that it is healing energizing satisfying joyful it makes your faith in christ grow your relationship with god you know it's just um and it's the great remedy for burnout and cynicism we have never met anyone who burns out in the exercise of the charism ever and cynicism i mean to see god working you know, really working in the lives of other people, you just go, whoa, okay, this isn't just a political hack. This isn't just a grind. This mm. is real. This is all real. And, oh my gosh. you know, so yeah. in many ways, one of the things about for clergy governance, which includes calling forth the charisms and the vocations of all. Yes. Uh, because they're not given an opportunity to do that. They're not given formation in that area. Um, and honestly, of course, mm. most of them are overwhelmed anyway. Um, but it means that a part of their priesthood is not, is not being expressed, is being repressed unintentionally. Okay. Yeah. And part of their, part of the great, um, the, uh, what would I say? The reward, the reward of, mm. of the vocation of priesthood is seeing new disciples and apostles emerge around you because that's 100%. the evidence your priesthood is bearing fruit. You know, and nothing, and that yes. says, I, my, you know, what I am doing, I'm not just, I'm not just keeping the ecclesial trains running on time, more or less. Okay. Maybe not, maybe less than more, but you know what I mean? I'm not just mm -hmm. frantically, you know, trying to keep everything going. I am seeing people's lives transformed. I am seeing the power of God being you know, pouring out into the world through my people, through my community that I am fostering and leading. Um, I'm being a real spiritual father. And it's it's the joys of a real father 
when you see your children growing up and becoming these fabulous, mm -hmm. wonderful, you know, unique human beings and adults mm -hmm. with all this love and creativity and the joy and the satisfaction of that is one of the great rewards. Um, and yeah, so it's all of this. There's, there's so many ramifications of this and the, the fact, as I say over and over again, there is someone out there right now who is waiting for what you have been given to give and their life hangs in the balance. That's the economy of grace, folks. That's the world we live in. And it matters that you say yes. That person, you may not have met them yet. They may not even have been born yet, but in the providence of God, you are the one who's been gifted, who's been prepared for that person, that community, that family, that business, that neighborhood, that circle of friends, whatever your call is, wherever God is placing you. And it matters that you say yes. Um, and that- I think my heart's just grown two times its regular size. I can feel it in my chest as you're talking. My heart is just expanding and ready to explode. It's so exciting what you're saying. It makes well, so much sense. It is exciting. It's, it's, and to see it lived, to live it yourself, to see it lived um, over and over again in places all over the world, um, uh, you know, it's just, it's one of the great. I can't imagine how rewarding that must be for you and your team. Is. I just want to come back to a couple of things because one of the things I'm seeing you do, Sherry, which I think is so fun, like, do you put on all the workshops yourself and do all the interviews yourself? Of course not. Ha! Right? No, Impossible. Of course not. <laughs> not. No, for the day one, I've not. always taught with other people because it's better teaching technique. They can identify right. with different people. We have different stories, different life experiences. Yeah. That strengthens it, and you you trade off all the time. You're playing mm. off each other because you're collaborating. Right. We saw it, and I was teaching for the first so many years with um, my co-founder, Father Michael. We wanted to model lay clergy collaboration, see people have people yeah. see it. Most people had never experienced that one. Right. That's so. true. I remember Father James and I doing the same thing at our first conference. One of the keynotes we were going to do, he said, Ron, I want to, I want people to see our relationship. So we're not going to practice our talk. Uh, what? He said, we're just going to talk about this, but we're just going to get up there. We're going to make it up. And we're like, we, we'll have some points, but we're just going to reveal it in real time. And I, it was so fun because he too wanted to model a working relationship with clergy and lay person. It was mm -hmm. what was so neat about it afterwards. It's so many people said, I might not be a, a James Mallon, but I can find my Ron Huntley. Mm -hmm. So in other words, it doesn't matter who you are, you can have a, a partner in crime, somebody who can make you better, who has different skills and gifts that you do, that mm -hmm. you can bring the best out in each other for the God's glory. And and that's what I hear in you too. I remember and, experiencing and, Patty Mansfield that exactly way. Collaboration, um, knowing yeah. your cares, knowing where you're gifted and where you're not gifted. It's a both and. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. sets you up for collaboration, fruitful collaboration. Amen. And so, you Amen. know, and, so and you I want to, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, no, go ahead, finish the thought. Feel, feel responsible to be like, and they feel that people place that, project that responsibility on them, you know, to know everything, to do everything, right. to be the final, so true. the expert in yeah. every conceivable area. Um, in fact, 
what, when you come to terms with, okay, here's where my charisms are. Here's where they're not. Now I'm still, I'm still the pastor. The church has defined that there's a whole office there that, you know, you can't get out of and you're responsible to the bishop for some things you cannot offload, but it does mean that you don't have to try and it, you're not a failure if you're not an expert at everything. If you can't, don't have answers for every single problem that is brought to you right. and people have these enormous expectations, but mm-hmm. in your community are people who have those gifts, those backgrounds that you mm-hmm. can call forth, that you can help them, you know, and you can really start collaborating uh, and seeing, you know, God pouring out into your parish and through your parish into the neighborhood Mm -hmm. around and the world around in all these extraordinary ways. And that Mm -hmm. is, if that is pastoring, that is effective pastoring. Mm. That's what Jesus did. And that's what I see you doing. Like you're sharing this great treasure, this insight, you're sharing your vision, your hope, how you've been impacted and people, it's contagious and people want to be a part of it. And so you're empowering them and you, you like, I I don't know your full organization, but I'm guessing that it's, there's, there's some structure there that's modeling it, growing people, training people and releasing people and then supporting people so we can add another zero to that 143,000, right? Yeah everything we do is along those lines and everyone we train and we, you know, we train people now, especially uh, now the call and gifted is available now uh, online streaming in English and Spanish. So we get, and we're now we're forming oh, people, awesome. especially we had this all in place before COVID. Thank God. So, um, so now we're training <laughs> people, uh, you know, online, uh, all, all, people from all over the world can be in the same training. Um, yes. And that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's really been uh, fascinating. A thousand things going off in my head as you talk. I'm just getting so excited. But you mentioned these charisms come to life in the context or, or through evangelization. Oftentimes it's when somebody rediscovers or discovers for the first time this person of Jesus Christ and how much they're loved. And, and then all of a sudden they start. And so you may or may not know Alpha has been a big part. Uh, evangelization is, is a, sure. uh, a passion of mine. And so I always, but it's, it's easy to go from evangelization to catechesis or evangelization to ministry. I often go from evangelization to forming them as leaders um, because leadership is one of my garrisons. And you say you inflict yourself on <laughs> into whatever your ministry is. Um, and I think to myself, I think like, how would you position the called and gifted workshops and this whole idea of evangelization as alpha or Christ's life or, you know, the rescue project or whatever it is people are using for evangelism. Uh, and we've worked with everybody doing everything. So, um, but what is interesting and what I, you have to understand when I created this, I knew like zero. I presume because of the world I came from that everybody was already a disciple. And therefore I was just going to help them discern their charism so they could be apostles. And yes. it, it took a lot of listening to people to realize there was a, a disconnect there somewhere. Um, and uh, so it's been a long journey to figure that one out. But the whole point is it, we revamped, uh, re- we, when we put it online, we uh, went through a, a renewal, what'd you call it? We revised the called and gifted, sure. not massively, but refined it. Things I'd wanted to do for a long time. And, um, we had because we had started to realize it was evangelizing in its own right 
Why? Because most of the people who were going through were starting these very early thresholds. They were a trust or a curiosity, but a lot of them hadn't moved beyond that. And, uh, but everything about it from taking the inventory to all this, we tell endless saints stories and contemporary stories. And we listen to your stories and you're hearing each other's stories and, you know, all this stuff. And everything about it presumes a a loving, living, personal God who is active, who is pouring out his goodness on the world and wants you to be an instrument of that. Um, and, and it wakes people up spiritually. And so what happens, we've discovered, is that people go through all three parts of the called and gifted. They usually come out at openness, even if they started to trust. So they're moving right. through the thresholds. And so we discovered it because some of the parishes we were working with were using called and gifted as an evangelizing tool. And then people would come out of it, like go into RCIA or they would go into alpha or, you know, someone would come out of RCIA and go into the called and gifted, et cetera. Um, So we intentionally sort of uh, reshaped it so that it was this Mm. evangelizing content the evangelizing impact was stronger all everybody who we trained to facilitate discernment now has to learn about thresholds and threshold conversations how to listen to someone's story of where they are in their lived relationship with god because that's now an integral part of the discernment process we just ask that and it is connected it's Mm -hmm. honest because as we tell them at the beginning of the workshop we give them a chance to pray a prayer of openness now we explain these gifts come out of your lived relationship with god wherever you are and it's wherever you are is great right now because that's where god's going to meet you but this is before Mm -hmm. we start we want give you a chance to tell god you're open to more you're open to whatever Mm -hmm. the next step is etc and so we're just and we revisit that in the interviews we visit that in the small groups etc so we see people moving through the thresholds routinely now and if honestly, if I just parachuted into your parish for some bizarre reason, yep. and you said, you can do whatever you want, Sherry, I would probably start with the called and gifted. Why? Because the interview process is the most extraordinary pastoral tool I've never ever encountered. You find yeah. out more in one hour, not only where people are in their lived relationship with God, so true. but their charisms may be their areas of giftedness and leadership outside the parish, all sorts of things we never talk about because we only think of them as serving inside. Um, it is mm-hmm. a window to pastoral, crucial pastoral knowledge that you you could be side by side with that person for 20 years in a parish and have no idea. And in one hour, you'll learn more. Right. And so it has all kinds of phenomenal implications at many levels, but it is part, but Having the threshold conversation, we know people often move just by telling their stories. And it, it's just so. Right. So what I would do is I'd probably start because people are it's so fat, fat, fascinated by the called and gifted, by the charisms. And they come from all different backgrounds. And some of them are literally, I mean, you know, I've had people in interviews who are, who are like, you know, prenatal, if you will, spiritually, completely. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I've had great saints. I've had the entire spectrum. Um, and wherever they are, it, they can move on, but for most of our people, so I would do that as a beginning stage with the idea of helping them move into openness. So they'd be ready. The next thing I'd want to do would be charismatic. So that's where you get into alpha or you get into Christian, uh, Catholic Christian outreach, or you get into Christ life or you, et cetera, et cetera, the evangelizing Mm -hmm. retreats. 
There's a number of them. They're all very effective. But one of the problems is most of the people going into them are not really ready for the curriculum. They're not open. They're not, they're not open. Wow. They don't, yeah. And that's wow. why they're not necessarily, the it's nothing wrong with retreat. It's, it's a, right. a part of the journey they're on. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole idea of what you're doing, like, and I don't want this to be lost on anybody. You're training people how to listen. And I would say listening is the number one skill set that great leaders have. It's the mm -hmm. number one skill set. That's the number one skill set that great speakers have is to be able to listen because you need to know who you're speaking to and, and you need, you can pick all kinds of things up and you're literally training people how to do the very thing we're probably least good at. And uh, that is going to be so useful in a parish at every possible level as they, people right. you're training, take that skill set mm -hmm. and apply it to all kinds of different ministries, including Alpha. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it'd be fabulous for an oh. Alpha table leader, someone like that, because that's what you're doing. You're hearing their stories. Uh, RCIA, imagine if you had threshold conversations before, you know, in inquiry, you know, before people enter into the process. Yeah. Um, there's just endless applications. Council, as they're discerning Parish together, council. collectively discerning, Council's right? Counseling, marriage prep. You, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Retreats, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, the, the implications are very broad and enormously powerful. So, wow. yeah, that's been why partly why now you understand i didn't understand any of this when i started uh, only slowly have <laughs> let's, seen let's be clear <laughs> of all this yes. well it's funny even last night i woke up at three in the morning i usually don't do that uh and i couldn't get back to sleep and and it was in that moment or in that time of just reflecting mm -hmm that I started to write down all the things I do in leadership coaching and being an impact partner for priests and bishops. And and I had all new clarity last night. And it's just neat how, as you continue to do what you do, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you continue to grow in clarity. And it sounds like that's been your journey through oh, these sure. uh, called and gifted workshops and charisms. Absolutely. Yeah. My gosh. So, yeah. My goal, so we, like I have a new goal in life and it's to put a zero at the end of your 143,000. I want everybody to like, this is just so good. How do people connect if if they'd like to try it and or like to be trained in it or if a parish or a pastor's listening or parish council's like, we need that called and gifted at our church. Like where do they go from here if they're listening? The first and fastest thing to do is go to our website, which is just uh Sienna.org, S-I-E-N-A.org, Sienna.org. And those just go to under called and gifted and sort of all laid out there. Um, you can, you know, if you choose, you can like leaders can, pastors or whatnot, we can set you up so you can just see like the online version beforehand. Mm -hmm. We we do both live and online and then sort of uh, joint, you know, things where we, we train people to facilitate, but to, be a trained facilitator, you have to go through yourself first. You have to have done your own discernment because you can't course, empathize yeah. and grasp yeah. process if you haven't done it yourself. And so that's part of the process. And uh, yeah. And so, you know, just drop it or just, you, if you're just curious, send an email to info at Sienna.org, info at S-I-E-N-A.org and just say, you know, I heard Sherry on the Ron Huntley, uh, you know, podcast yeah. and 
uh, you know, I'm interested and we'll get back to you. Teach so, me more. Yeah, that's um, so perfect. Uh, I wasn't meaning that as a way of landing the plane, although it, all of a sudden it feels like it could be that. But I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you, how has your discerning of your charisms impacted your life? Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, heavens. Oh, my gosh. Well, for one thing, they manifested early because... I went through conversion early, and uh, so they started manifesting uh, while I was in college. Um, but I yeah. didn't have any help. I just um, when the first yeah. that showed up was like intercessory prayer, etc. Um, but um, but it only slowly. It took some time. Uh, the last one that manifested that I became clear about was leadership because I had confused that with being the most popular kid in the class. That was definitely not oh, that. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. but I didn't take in the fact that every once in a while I'd say, hey, gang, we could do this. And everybody suddenly turned around and saluted. And I'm like, what are they all doing? <laughs> Why do they keep doing this? You know, they're all smart people. They don't have to wait for me to come up and say, gang, we could all do this. But they do. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, um, so, yes, it has. And I will just one thing. This was fun. Um, yeah, because, please. Yeah. Uh, the after forming intentional disciples, the book went viral. The yeah. the uh, if we will, our opportunities and our workload quadrupled more or less right. overnight. And um, and I remember just you know I was just running, running, running. And I one day I woke up and realized um, everything I've been telling people about charisms all this time is true because otherwise I'd be dead. I said it really is right. energizing, satisfying, joyful. Uh, all those things, <laughs> you know, and it gives you this tremendous energy because it's, it's, yeah. you never, it, it's compelling and it never runs dry. Mm -hmm. Your sense of what God will do in the area of your charisms, the, uh, the, the, mm -hmm. the, and the need for them and the impact of them. And it's interesting because if you're, you know how, when you're living, there's a lot of people who they're not yet in their place in the world in life. Mm. And so they're looking around, they're desperately yeah. trying to find a place and, or maybe try to take somebody else's place or, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. yeah. And that's, you, you often see people in there doing that. But if, when you're using a charism at that moment, see, you don't want to be anywhere else. Even if it looks right. strange and obscure, to somebody else. When, when intercessory prayer manifested in my life, one of my friends said to me, but you're off in a corner. You're just praying for people. I mean, that's so, nobody sees you. And I want, I'm like, what do you mean? I'm here at the center. This is where God is entering the world. Are you kidding me? This is where it's happening. You know, what do you mean? I'm off in that's a corner. Awesome. I'm not off in a corner, but who, <laughs> you know, but you don't need to be seen. You don't need constant. Oh patting on the back and massaging right. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's good when it happens, but, yeah. but because the thing itself, your sense of the where God wants you and he is entering the world here and he is, mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, entering it. And yeah, so it mm. is on so many levels at a human level in terms of your spiritual life, uh, yeah. in terms of collaboration with other people, in terms of, uh, and people will, your charisms will name some people. They'll be drawn to you because they have similar gifts. Mm. Uh, you can, and there's a, you can articulate a vision around that charism and people will be drawn to it, which is why it comes with a leadership in the area of that gift. 
Um, yes. There's, you know, the, the ramifications are enormous. And the charisms belong. The church literally teaches we have a communion of charisms. My fruit that I bear through my charism belongs to you and your fruit belongs to me and the rest of the mm. church. And to the extent that we are not calling forth our charisms of our people, yes. facilitating their discernment, we're not first calling them to, of course, that encounter with Christ out of which all of this comes. And then mm. vocations that come and the charisms that come. Um, we are, every time we do that, we are weakening the church in incredible ways. We are sucking the, the life clean the out, life of out of her. Because God yeah. intended, this is one of the ways he intended the church to be nurtured. And that, and mm. this, this communion of fruitfulness, this communion of charisms that we are all part of is essential, especially in a hostile mission on missiondom environment. Yes. We're outside of Christendom. Yeah. And now the, the living, not the Institutions will not survive by themselves if they do not have the spiritual power of the gospel and of uh, the graces of God and the Holy Spirit, you know, underneath us. And so, um, you know, one of the foremost things that is crucial, here's my rough estimate. This is just, there's no studies. This is just Sherry talking. Um, sure. My best estimate is about 2% of all the charisms we've been given are actually being manifested and exercised right now. Part of it is because yeah. of where most of our people are in terms of their lived relationship with God. Um, that's a foundation. And part of it is we have not been talking about this, help facilitating this, nurturing it. Mm. Um, the, the, the church, how the church flourishes in hostile environments is directly related as I said last time, to the number of, the, of our percentage of our people who make the journey to discipleship, in whom the charisms manifest, who discern personal vocation, who bear the fruit, the abundant fruit that remains. And that is nourishes the whole church, the body of Christ, even people who you do not know, people you're sending out ripples out into history that will nourish the life of many, many others, even in centuries to come. And we know that because we've got the communion of saints. This is all part of the communion of saints here. Um, but mm -hmm. so, yeah, this, this kind of stuff is, is crucial. Every time we help someone discern, we're helping to facilitate someone to answer a call of God that has huge ramifications yeah. for many people whom they have may not have met yet or even know exist. Mm. So yeah, there's the that's, ramifications that's the are huge. starting point of of the work that I do with priests is uh, I wouldn't, I'd use some of the language you use, but I'm, I'm going to, and I've done it. I'm going to do it again um, and get more familiar with this body of work. Like I say, I've done it and I've been through the interviews and I just loved it, but then I get myself so busy. Like I, I know a lot of what your work has done has influenced me even to the degrees I'm not aware. Uh, and, and that's always the starting point for me. But I also think, as you were talking about burnout and just the grind that can be in our jobs, and I think yeah. about bishops who I get to work with as well, and how much most of the time, I, I haven't met a bishop yet who doesn't love their priests. Now, they might not know how to show it in a way that it's received or interpreted that way. Mm -hmm. But when you talk to them, they most bishops I've ever talked to, their number one priority 
is the priest that they father. Mm -hmm. And if they took the time to work through this body of insight and revelation to understand the charisms of their pastors, they could love them in a way they're currently not. A, like there's and such a disconnect a oftentimes between the presbyter and the bishop. Being mm -hmm. a pastor varies 100%. tremendously based on their charisms, uh, which That's is not, not one bad. Way to do it. Yeah, it's not mm -hmm. a bad thing, but it it's it's different. And so, yeah, there's yeah. Uh, and and the burnout among priests and their mm -hmm. or leaders of any kind. Let's face it, um, which is that's it's true. Really you can be a business leader too and be in the same situation. Absolutely, yeah? absolutely. If you don't know who you are, you're going to try to either be somebody else or you're going to try to live up to the things everybody else says you should be and those exactly. are two terrible ways to live your life you only get one life you you should figure out the author of your life and maybe partner with him and that's what Kelden gifted allows you to do is to partner with the author of your life yep and the wow. the to answer to to be open to receive all the graces and then deliberately cooperate with them and answer the call that comes with them. Yeah, make yourself available. There's a discipline involved in all of that, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and, and people listening, particularly leaders and pastors, will be really excited about the practical nature of what you're talking about. Like you say, it's not all just pie in the sky. It's oh, like, no. no, like it's 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 rooting you in your identity and then giving you a place to experiment so that you can live a life of purpose and meaning that will build up the kingdom of God. And you will see a great deal more effectiveness. And uh, one of the classic mm. stories I had, this is a quickie. Um, Please. I, had, I, was, I was interviewing on the phone, a uh, school teacher, a school principal, Catholic school principal. And, okay. uh, and, and she scored high in, a, in administration. So I said, tell me a story. And she told me a story about bringing the, the parents of her children back to the church. I said, well, I'm, I'm making a note going, well, that's a fascinating story. And I put evangelism down here, but, yeah. but I'm thinking, but let's, we want to stay with administration. So that was fascinating, but that's not exactly administration. Could we go back to yeah. administration? And I sort of defined it again. I said, could tell me administration story. She told me another story <laughs> bringing the parents of her children back. Three times I asked about administration. Three times she responded with evangelism. And I finally had to say, you do, you said this, 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 and this. I just have to point out. That sounds more like evangelism than administration. And you could hear the horror, the gasp. Right. 1,400 miles away. And she said, oh, I couldn't do that. I'm a principal. I'm an administrator. I'm this. I'm that. I'm that. Yes. And I said, and apparently your, your understanding of what that means is you're going to evangelize the parents of your children, which, you know, is one of the primary reasons for a Catholic school to exist. Right. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's part of the DNA of Catholic schools. But isn't that neat? Yeah. And that I can't tell you how many conversations we've had like that of some kind. And the same would be true. Um, and I know I have some sense because I've also worked with, you know, quite a few bishops, um, the crushing yes. burden that many yes. of them are carrying now. Um, Painful. And, uh, but one of the abiding sources of strength and ongoing energy and consolation, honestly, is fine. If you don't have, you're going to have to make a space in your life. If it doesn't come with the situation you're in now, then you go find it and you create it. And I've had to tell people, I've said, I'm sorry. I know what your job says, 
but you need to go over here and create a space to exercise your charism because you need this. And God has not given that to you accidentally. This is an assignment. This is a mission. This is an anointing for a mission. And it's essential to your spiritual life, to your personal stability and growth, your ability to answer God's call long term. Um, you know, all sorts of things are involved. Mm. So, I remember, yeah, being with being at an event and they're facilitating conversations, and so you teamed up with somebody you didn't know, and um, it turns out he was an Anglican bishop, but I didn't know that it was nothing. Sure. And how he presented himself that would that I would know that, but he talked about being involved at that time. It was it was an alpha um, event, a hosted event, and he said it's it's what gives him hope in his ministry as a bishop because there's so many other things he has to deal with that are urgent problems and complicated problems and and yeah. not a lot of light in some of those problems that he had to wrestle with. And he said, if it wasn't mm -hmm. for this opportunity to be with people as they come into a, a relationship with Jesus, mm -hmm. he yes. doesn't know how he'd be able to continue. And that's your point. Like if whatever, yes. and for him, it was probably evangelization, but whatever your charism is, find a way to live that out you're going to be happier you're going to experience less burnout and you're going to have a bigger impact and uh, and and wow. your trust in god will be strengthened mm. in god's presence and mm. god's act you know saving presence and action now in and through the church in the midst of it despite all mm. the stories and all the media and all the the seemingly endless mm. scandals um the truth is especially mm. at the ground level this is where we're going to see a, a lot of this light emerging in people, in and through mm. people as they say yes. Yeah. Beautiful. So as we land this plane, this is the plane. This is the this is the plane okay. landing part. But um, oh my gosh, I could talk to you for days. Like I get so excited because it, what you're sharing makes so much sense, and it mobilizes and activates everything I believe to be true in the local parish and and the global church. But what is your hope? So what are we looking at? We're in 2023 right now. So it's, let's say it's 2033. So 2000 years after Jesus comes yep. or came, what is your hope for the body of work that God's called you to? Like your mm -hmm. gifts are my gifts. Like your, your, your charisms are, I'm benefiting from your charisms. Our mm -hmm. listeners are benefiting from your charisms, which is exactly how we know it's a charism, as you were saying earlier. What is your hope for your team and this mission and call that God's put on your life with this called and gifted um, discernment. What's your hope for the church? What's your hope for that ministry? Hope for the impact? church? Well, um, we we are here. The Institute specializes in, mm. if you will, facilitating uh, conversion and if you, mm. if you would, an apostolic formation for all the baptized. Um, but we create one of a kind cutting edge resources that don't exist. We don't, we never duplicate what somebody else is doing. Um, we see no point in that. Um, but we do create the out of the box thing. And there's a number of places that we're working on creating new stuff right now. We're right in the middle of it. Um, but my, okay, here's, here's my dream. Um, yeah, please. I became aware about oh, 10, 15 years ago, maybe, I stumbled across the story of the great 17th century French revival called The Generation of Saints by historians. Mm -hmm. um, 
in which they, they had survived 32 years of religious civil wars in which millions of people had died between Protestants and Catholics. So that, you know, anyway, it was a disaster mm. on every conceivable level. The, um, but out of the rubble emerged this generation of disciple friends who mentored each other, collaborated with each other, stole from each other, co-founded, taught each other, mentored each other, prayed for each other, shared, you know, stuff with each other. And together, not, it wasn't like they consciously at one level decided to do, set out to do this, but the impact of it, and it was, it was a very broad spectrum. There was women and men, there were the poor, there were the, you know, the high and the mighty, there were religious and priests and lay people and a huge spectrum. They took everybody seriously. That's one of the things that was really stunning. Um, hmm. And it, they, they pursued revival in four crucial areas of the church's life. Uh, the parish, the diocesan pastorate, the renewal of religious life, and the laity. Okay, and they had so they had breakthrough, massive breakthroughs in all four areas, um, and that revival changed the Catholic Church. It was totally Christocentric. It was the most Christocentric uh, sort of Catholic movement they had seen in centuries, um, and that revival impacted the nation for 150 years and spread from France to North America, to Canada and places like that, to Southeast Asia, which is how the faith reached Vietnam and all those places. Um, and more and more, as even uh, in a year of the Eucharistic revival, I just became mm -hmm. aware just two days ago that adoration by the lady at the parish level came out of the French revival, which practically almost everything that's really powerful and life-giving in our structure, they invented out a whole cloth because the old world had been destroyed and they were starting over from scratch. They were in shattered Christendom and they had to reinvent the church in an evangelical mode, a missionary mm -hmm. mode. And the, the, a number of, and we, now we name our churches after these people, you know, Francis de Sales and St. Vincent de Paul and, and, uh, John, um, I'm sorry, Louise de Marillac and St. John uh, de Chantel. And I could go on and on. There's a bunch of them. Um, but there were tens of thousands of different cat at different levels of the church's life involved in different aspects of this immense revival. Mm -hmm. And that's, I, I don't know of anything else like it. Even revivals in the Protestant world, and in the Protestant world I came from, they they follow these and they teach about them, but they're usually very short lived, maybe a year, maybe two. There's then right. they call they have great awakenings, which are longer lived, but this was the longest, if you will, great awakening that Christianity has ever seen. It was multi generational. Hmm. It was. It had. The, the ramifications were still working. They invented the retreat house. Why? Because if you have a lot of lay and uh, diocesan priest disciples who don't have religious houses to go to, you have to create a place where they can go and pray. I mean, so you make disciples and then you start creating all these structures to support them and, you know, nourish them. And um, so right. that's my, the question is, I'm absolutely certain God is calling right now. I know he is calling yeah. for it. That and the next generation of saints, they're emerging around us. We don't know who they are necessarily. They may be small children. They may be teens. They may be 
middle-aged or elderly people who are unseen, but they have mm. been given the call. God has placed them in their time. They have these charisms. Um, and they're emerging around us and we don't yet see them, but I know they're there and I'm praying for them right now because mm. that, uh, in one of the church's darkest hours, what changed it was the emergence of a whole network of disciples and apostles who together as friends, as collaborators, as, you know, learning from each other, et cetera, um, changed the course of history. And God used them to do that. And there's no reason it cannot happen with us. No. And I know, no. yes, the last five years have been really tough for everybody. And institutionally, you know, all the die, a lot of dioceses are, you know, consolidating mm -hmm. parishes and closing them and turning them into, you know, whatever yeah. they call it, families or pastorates or whatever collaboratives. Um, but in the midst of, institutional decline the key is mm -hmm. always the spiritual renewal of people amen if we call forth if we call them to that encounter with christ out of which mm -hmm. all of this flows and we we answer the call not just as individuals but together there is no reason we cannot see another generation of saints emerge in our time, in our generation. They're already out there. We just don't necessarily, we don't know how to find them and we may not be looking for them. They may, they're going to blow our cat. They're going to come in forms that are outside our categories, hmm. but they're there. They the charisma, there. the vocations and, um... are there. Mm -hmm. And and I think your the work that you've done and the work that God is doing through you. I I've, I've I say this to other people, not just you, but Sherry Waddell and the work she's doing is pioneering that next movement of faith. Before I heard that story, there's been a movement afoot in my lifetime, and mm -hmm. I've I've experienced your pioneering work as ushering in the things like divine renovation, rebuild, all these other things. Not that they're intentionally connected but there's a movement of the spirit to bring about these powerful cli uh, mm -hmm. patrick lencioni's work and all i just see this outpouring but you know it all started in 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 a sense with with if if that's part of the root that's leading mm -hmm. to this renewal from this university girl who needed a place to pray mm -hmm. rooted in prayer and this mm -hmm. longing and this desire to be at the epicenter of God's grace. And so thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your courage. And when you get this new body of work done up, I would love to have you on again so I can learn a bunch more and inspire all kinds of more people to, to, to learn from the work that you and your team are doing. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's, uh, uh, thank you for giving uh, a ch me a chance to have this conversation and learn from you and hear what you're seeing as well. Because uh, my experience is my dominant charism is wisdom. And um, my experience is uh, wisdom people are always fascinated by other people's wisdom. So, yeah. 
It sounds like I have some more discernment to do because I've been fascinated by this conversation and I'm sure our listeners are too. So again, Sherry, thank you for being on the show and for all of you that have been listening and, and continue to lean in and find ways to make a difference, to bless others, to bring your parishes to life or your businesses more in line with, with, uh, with what's in your heart as a Christian. Um, let's continue this journey together. Let's continue this conversation. Please leave comments, um, sure. send a note. Again, reach over to, to, to Sherry's Institute to get some information and maybe yeah. start this in your church because listening is, is going to be the road to falling in love with one another. And if we're not in love with one another, we're not gonna renew our parish. And so let's take that as our assignment and we'll see you next week. God bless you. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.